Good morning once again. It's glad to have you be with us. Uh, welcome to our podcast this morning. We're once again just having church here with the uh, with the podcast. We have the doors closed today, but uh, glad you could be with us. Hope that you uh, can gain something from the scriptures today. Uh, be turning with me to uh, Revelation chapter four. We're going to continue our study. <clears throat> excuse me, our study of the book of Revelation, and uh, we have done. Uh, of course, we started kind of a, a strange thing. We started the last two chapters uh, of the book, and then we went back to the beginning, and now we're working our way through. But uh, as you're turning there to Revelation chapter 4, we're going to do chapter 4 today. We had just finished up over the last six weeks. We took an in-depth look at the churches that were addressed in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And today, now that he has finished addressing those specific churches and church conditions, uh, we begin to start to see a little bit of what's going on hereafter and what's going on in heaven and some of those things. And as we slowly go through the next few weeks, uh, we'll look at these things and, and see how interesting that they are. So in Revelation <clears throat> chapter 4, uh, we'll begin reading in just a moment. But uh, let's pray this morning over our word and uh, so that our hearts will be open and our minds will be clear to, to receive the word which we're going to hear today. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We pray, God, over this word that we're about to receive. We pray, Lord, that you help us to minister your word the way that you want it to be ministered today. Help us, Lord, to see through the scriptures and uh, in the Bible here as we read today in Revelation chapter 4. Help us to see what we need that will help us in our walk with you, Lord, and our, our witness for you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Revelation chapter 4, uh, we're going to begin to talk about... Uh, uh, a little bit about heaven. We're going to talk about the place where God dwells. And I was noticing this week, and it kind of had struck me as interesting, uh, the very first chapter of the book of Revelation, we, we did a few weeks ago, and it, it talks about the glory and the majesty of the risen Savior. And as I got to thinking about this, it, it was interesting to me that uh, the things you see first or the things you read first are usually the most important. Those are the things that that uh, the person who does the writing wants you to know first and foremost. And, and as God gave John this revelation, I just think it's interesting how the very first thing we saw in chapter 1 was the glory and majesty of the risen Savior. Then secondly, as he addressed his church, you know, he didn't address the world, and he didn't address uh, what uh, Congress is doing or what the White House is doing or, or wherever in the world people are doing things. He addressed his church and the people that belong to him and he told them what he wanted them to do that they, uh, that they needed to change. He told them what they uh, were doing well, what they weren't doing well, and how to address it, how to uh, get back on track, and all those things. And then today, the next thing that, that we're going to find and we're going to see is that uh, he wants us to know what's going on in heaven. Now, we don't know, and it's not revealed in Revelation, every single thing that goes on in heaven, but... Here in this chapter 4, it begins to, to talk about those things, what's going on in heaven. And I thought one of the most interesting things about uh, chapter 4, as I was reading this, uh, is the very first thing that God wants us to know about in heaven is basically that God sits on the throne. And we're going to see that here momentarily in the, in the scriptures. But anyway, I'd like to start this, and before we read uh, anything in chapter 4, I, I kind of labeled this in my notes as I was putting this down, this is kind of a disclaimer. Now, 
from this point in Revelation, and especially maybe even from chapter 5 on through, there has been a great deal of time and energy and study and research put into those chapters. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of people have, have put out a lot of teachings. They've written a lot of books. They've had seminars. They've had classes. They've had all kinds of things as to their interpretation of what all these things mean and kind of the timing of things and, and all those kinds of things. But I'm going to just say this to you today, that as we go through this, as, as I feel led by the Lord, now I'll just give you this disclaimer. I'm not going to try to, to, to interpret things here that are not clearly spelled out for us. And the reason I say that is this right here. Uh, and I'm just going to read this to you. You can flip there later. And like I said, I'm going to... Uh, we're going to just kind of treat these next several weeks as we go through Revelation kind of more like a Bible study. They may not be an actual, what we would call a sermon, you know, where we uh, uh, pick out things real deep and go into them and that kind of stuff, but basically as a Bible study just to kind of look through and, and see what it says. But the reason that I don't want to try to, to uh, interpret things or, or uh, find out the meaning of things that are not clearly given in the book of Revelation comes from the, the very end of the book, and this is in Revelation 22 and 18. This, this is something that, that really does guide me, and that's why I don't want to get too deep into some of this stuff that we don't know about. In Revelation 22, 18, the Bible says this, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this uh, the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so that's why I say I'm just kind of giving that as a disclaimer. Uh, we're going to go through, and there's a lot of things in here uh, that are revealed to us, exactly what they mean, what they are. There's other things that are, are a mystery still yet, and we don't want to try to pretend that we know uh, the answer to these mysteries. And a lot of people have made uh, some pretty big mistakes uh, in the past, trying to reveal these mysteries or say they know what these mysteries are, and then it turns out they were completely wrong. And I want to read another verse to you before we begin as part of this, uh, what I'm calling a disclaimer. A lot of people, like I said, they try to go into the book of Revelation with the mindset of figuring everything out and placing the timing of everything and, and some of that stuff. But I, I want to read this other one to you as well, and it comes from Matthew 24, 36. Jesus was speaking about the end of time and his disciples had come to him privately and said, What's, what is the meaning of these things and when is the end of the age? When is the end of the world coming? When are you going to return? And Jesus tells them a lot of different things that we've talked about in the past. But in, in Matthew 24, 36, he gives us uh, a very solemn warning, I think. So Matthew 24, 36 says this, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So as we go through this, uh, the book of Revelation here now, as we begin in chapter 4, we're not going into it with trying to figure out the timing of this and, and exactly what the millennium means and exactly what the uh, tribulation period means and the exact timing of it and all that stuff. We're not trying to figure out anything that's not specifically spelled out for us. And that's the reason why is those two verses from Revelation 22.18 and Matthew 24.36. So we cannot pinpoint the time. Studying Revelation for that purpose is wrong and will lead to misinterpretation and fallacy. The exact timing of the Lord's return is a mystery and will remain, remain so until it happens. 
And we have to remember, we read this verse last week in Revelation 3 and 7. Part of that, Jesus is speaking to the Philadelphian church and He says, These things says, He who is holy, He who is true, He who has the key of David, and He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So if the Lord has shut the door on the mystery and hasn't revealed it plainly, then we're not going to try to figure it out because we don't want to get it wrong. Amen. So the exact timing of the Lord's return is a mystery and it will remain so until it happens. Every theory that I've ever heard has a hole in it. Uh, I myself have sat down and studied things several different ways and tried to place this here and that and, and get it all figured out. And it don't matter what theory you have about the end times, you can start looking at this and looking at that and, and every theory has a hole in it. That it's, There's something in that theory that doesn't fit something else. So that tells me that it remains a mystery and that for us as Christians, we're supposed to do what Jesus said and simply be ready because we know not what hour He comes. When He comes and returns for us and time is going to end, we need to be found doing what He's asked us to do. And that basically means for us to continue to do what He taught us in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, which we just finished over the last six weeks about what's expected of His churches. Amen. Amen. So let's begin reading now in Revelation 4, verse 1. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now I think it's very interesting that the very first thing, after the Lord has dealt with the issues with the churches, the very next thing that the Apostle John sees is a door in heaven opened. Amen. And that tells me that he wants us to know, that the Lord wants us to know, that the door to heaven is open to his children. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews that let us come boldly, therefore, to the throne of grace, right? To find help in time of need, right? So we, uh, the very first thing that John sees when, when, when the Lord finishes talking about the church issues is he says he looked and in heaven he saw a door standing open and then this voice says, come up here, I want to show you the things that are going to take place after this. Now, we understand that when it says things that take place after this, that was from that period in time, even until our age right now, which we're living in, okay? That's what the Lord's going to begin to show him. And like I said, we're not going to try to sit down and figure out specific timing and this, that, and the other, unless it's very obvious, unless it's spelled out. Now in verse 2, it says this, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now when it says he was in the Spirit, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that he was in some mystical place that is only in our imagination? No, he meant he was in the Spirit. It means that place that's not bound by time and space. And basically, if we could sum it up and say in the Spirit means this is where God dwells, in the place where God dwells. God dwells in the Spirit. Amen. God is a Spirit and He dwells in that realm where He's not bound by time and space. One of the greatest uh, questions that our, our, our lifetime has of, of non-believers is they say, well, if God is this and that, and why is this happening? And they have all these things, but they're trying to confine God into time and space, and God exists outside of time and space. He existed. Uh, he created Himself time and space. He created time and space, so He therefore does not exist within it. He exists outside of it. So that's what it talks about. It was when he went into the Spirit. John says, I was in the Spirit. Immediately I was in the Spirit. He knew that he was in the place where now that God dwells and the things of earth really have no bearing on what's going on there. Amen. 
because this is the place that God dwells. Now I want you to think about this. This struck me very, very uh, unique this week. The first thing that, Je- that, that uh, Jesus shows the Apostle John in heaven is the throne. Look at that again. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. The very first thing that he sees when he is now in heaven, where he can actually see the goings-on where God dwells, is he sees God sitting on his throne. Why is that so important? God wants us to know that he is on the throne. Amen? God wants us to know that he knows what's going on. There's nothing that has escaped his eyesight. There's nothing that has escaped what he knows is going on. And I like that the way it says that he sat on the throne. He's not troubled by the things of earth. He's not up wringing his hands like we do. He's not worrying himself to death about the goings on here in the earth. But he is seated on his throne. Praise God. And he's not shaken by anything going on here. Amen. Praise the Lord. When it says one sat on the throne, I want you to think about this. What is he showing, John? What is he describing to us? Remember, this whole book is written to the church. You know, Not just the part about the churches, but this whole book. He started it out in chapter 1. It says, I want you to write these things to the seven churches. And John addresses that. He says, these things are to the seven churches. Okay, That means it's for us as well. So he tells him that one sat on the throne. That means the self-existent one. The creator of everything that exists. He alone is God and there is no other. He alone rules from his throne and he is fully aware of everything that's taking place. Praise God. That's the very first thing that John sees. Now there are people who have come along in this world that has supposedly got to see heaven. And they go on and on about all these other things. And they never do actually see that God is sitting on the throne. I have to question sometimes whether or not they have really seen a vision of heaven. Because when the first thing you're going to notice in heaven is that God is seated on His throne, amen. This is the place where He rules and reigns forevermore. Praise God. Everything else in heaven is going to be secondary to this very fact that God is on His throne and He rules from there. Amen and amen. So this is the place where God dwells. And the very first thing he sees is that God is seated on his throne. Praise the Lord. Verse 3, it says, And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now they say that a jasper stone can sometimes appear as like a reddish stone or maybe sometimes a yellow streaks through it. I'm not real sure. I don't know a lot about... Uh, precious stones. And the other stone that it says it was an appearance like was kind of like a sardius stone, which was a, a blood red stone, a very very bright red uh, stone. And the interesting thing here we need to see is that uh, in John's day, the, the, most of the kings of the earth wore some type of scarlet robe, some type of scarlet clothing. That signified that they were the ones who were reigning and, and uh, were in charge. And so no doubt as he saw the image of God seated on the throne, and he said he was in an appearance, something like a jasper stone, something like a sardis stone. It's something that was some type of a redness evidently that was flowing out of him, that was glowing out of him, that he could see that this was the king, amen, that this was God Almighty, that this was the creator. 
Now, there's a lot of people also that have come along and said, well, I've seen God. I had a vision of God. I had this, that, and the other. I have to question that too because every person in the, in the history of the world, and it's recorded here in the Bible, if they did get to see a vision of God, they have never given His attributes. All they could say was it appeared to something like this. There was something that they could kind of relate it to, but they did not see the very description of Him, you know? Even Isaiah, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Seated on his throne in the, in his, the, and his train filled the temple. But he never gives any kind of description. Even Daniel said, I saw one that represented and looked like the ancient of days, but he doesn't give any description. He looks somewhat like the son of man. So here, here uh, John sees and describes that he looks something like this uh, jasper stone and this sardius, snow, uh, sardius stone. The Bible also says, that there was a rainbow. Look at that also in verse 3. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. The rainbow had an appearance. There was some, an emerald they say is some type of a greenish color. Like I said, I'm not real sure about those things. Don't guess I've ever seen one. But they said that the rainbow here had a, had a, a, a resemblance of that emerald stone. What does the rainbow represent there on the throne in heaven? represents the symbol of God's mercy. You know, back in Genesis, and I believe chapter 9, it says that God was making His covenant with Noah. He said, this is the covenant I'm going to give you, Noah. This is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to set my bow in the cloud so that whenever the rain and things happen, you'll see my bow in the clouds here on the earth. Now, I just think it's interesting how this is one of the things that John saw as he was looking there and he saw the one seated on the throne. He said there was also that rainbow that was described all the way back there in Genesis chapter 9. Amen. Verse 4. The Bible says this. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, in verse 4, that's a very interesting thing that's described as these 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones. And there's been a lot of books written, a lot of commentary, a lot of all kinds of things written about who they, are, who they were and what they represented, this, that, and the other. But the fact is this, we don't know that. The Bible does not uh, uh, reveal who these 24 elders are or what they represent. So to speculate as to what they meant, I believe is in a violation of Revelation 22, 18. But we better not, we better tread very carefully there. So for the, from that standpoint, who they are, what they represent are not given. We can only speculate, and so I'm not even going to try to figure out who they are. Some people say maybe it's a representation of, of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Maybe, may we don't know. I wouldn't rule it completely out, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's what it is because the Bible doesn't say that. All we need to gather from this, and we're going to see momentarily, is that there are 24 elders seated on 24 thrones around the throne of God. Now what they represent, like I said, we don't know. But we'll find out in a minute that, therefore, that they are there for a purpose, and that purpose is to worship the Almighty Creator on His throne. Praise God. So who they are, what they represent, we don't know. But we know they're there. Amen. Verse 5 says, And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders and thunderings, and voices. 
Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. These noises and these lightnings and these thunders, we're not sure what they are either. Probably just he's talking here about a summary of later on in Revelation. He said he heard a certain thundering noise and then it was revealed what the thunder said. Those things like that. So what these exact thunderings and lightnings and and voices here is, is talking about, we're not really sure. But John is telling you, I'm telling you this is the facts. That from the throne of God comes the noises, comes uh, thunderings, comes lightnings, comes voices and sounds and those kinds of things. Amen. Now when it says there in the last part of verse 5, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is a very a difficult passage. I will admit to you that this is a difficult because we, we don't fully understand what this means. It was referenced back in the first chapter of Revelation. It's referenced one other time here in Revelation. And so what are these seven lamps that are the seven spirits of God? What does it mean, the seven spirits of God? Now, I'm just going to tell you what I believe about this and, and how we should proceed. There's a lot of people, like I said again, there's a lot of people that has, has, has come up with these things that they know exactly what it is and they got names for it and all these kinds of things. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible does not specify what this exactly means. But I'll tell you what I think it's referring to and, and we'll go from there. From other scriptures, we can gather a few things, a few, a few nuggets of information to see that we believe this is what the Lord's talking about. We know that the Trinity is described in the scriptures, and that is that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So from this, we know that the Holy Spirit is not divided into seven other spirits. See, some people try to teach that the Holy Spirit is seven uh, smaller spirits all combined into one to make that one person, whatever. I don't believe that. And like I said, that's not what the Bible's saying here. Most likely, now this is my opinion, most likely this is a reference to Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. And this is where it's talking about the coming Messiah and how that the Spirit of God was going to rest upon Him, okay? And this is where there are seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are revealed there in Isaiah 11. And I believe actually verse 2 is the specific verse where it talks about those things. So there are seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit or seven uh, things that He commonly does, okay? That, is, is, that it's all about Him, okay? So first of all, it's mentioned there. And like I said, you can look these up. This was in Isaiah 11, uh, 1 through 5. But the first thing that is an uh, attribute of the Holy Spirit mentioned there in Isaiah is that the Holy Spirit is going to rest upon the Messiah. That means that He stays and doesn't leave and then we learn also that later on when Jesus was talking about it, He says, I'll give the Holy Spirit to whom I want to. He says, I'll pray the Father and send you another comforter. So it meant it was in His power to give the Holy Spirit to whom He desired. Amen. And so the first attribute of the Holy Spirit is, is, is uh, basically a spirit that stays. He doesn't just come for a little while and then leave. He doesn't just do a little bit here and then leave. The Bible says that He's going to indwell us. He's going to come and stay within us. So the first attribute or the characteristic of the Holy Spirit is this, is that He is a Spirit that dwells. He is a Spirit that stays and a Spirit that remains. Hallelujah. Then He's also there and mentioned in Isaiah, He's a Spirit of wisdom. It gives us uh, a guidance for what we need in our life. A Spirit of understanding. A Spirit of, try, of figuring out how things should go. A Spirit of counsel. 
Someone we can ask a question to and say, I don't know how to proceed from this or how to do this or how to accomplish this. So he's a spirit of counsel. He's a spirit of might. He gives us strength to endure anything we face, amen, to overcome. He's a spirit of knowledge. It helps us to know exactly what to do in every situation. There's so many things in our life that we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle them, but the spirit of knowledge that the Holy Spirit is, we can get from Him, amen, that knowledge of what to do. And then in the seventh thing, the attribute of the Holy Spirit there in Isaiah, it says that it's the spirit of the fear of the Lord, which means the reverence and respect for God, amen. So when we talk about here in Revelation, when it says the seven spirits of God that are represented by these seven lamps burning, I believe it's just an illustration that God's presence is always there. God's Holy Spirit is ever ready. It's always illuminated. It's always burning. It's always lit to give us what we need. Amen. Praise God. These are the things that the Holy Spirit helps us with throughout our Christian lives. And I believe that this these seven lamps burning with fire, I believe it beautifully displays that the Holy Spirit is ever-present to help us with whatever we face. His characteristics are represented by seven lamps of fire burning continually before the throne. Notice, they burn continually before the throne. Amen. And I believe that then this is why Jesus was able to say, the Holy Spirit will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And see, you find that in John 16 and verse 13. A lot of people forget that. A lot of people think that the Holy Spirit's just doing His own thing. No, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will not speak on His own authority, but what He hears, that He will speak. And how better to hear than being placed right before the throne of God. Amen. I believe that those seven lamps represent those seven characteristics that are ever ready and ever present to help His children in time of need. Amen. Moving along to verse 6 and 7. Let's read those together. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Once again, there's been a lot of attempts made to figure out exactly what these creatures represent. I've tried it myself. I thought, well, maybe this means this and this means that. And some people have said, well, maybe this kind of represents somewhat something to do with the animal kingdom. We don't know. But here's the facts. What they represent is not revealed. So it needs to just remain a mystery. Just like with the 24 elders that are not named, these uh, uh, living creatures, these four living creatures, they're given what they resemble, what they kind of look like, but we don't know exactly what they mean, but we're going to find out here in a moment that just like with the 24 elders, their primary mission is to worship the Creator. Amen. Praise God. I think it's interesting. One thing I'd like to point out to you there, in, uh, I see it's in verse 6, at the last part of verse 6. Uh, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. In the midst of the throne and around the, thrones, uh, were, around the throne were four living creatures. Now this part's interesting. Full of eyes in front and in back. Evidently, there's not much that these living creatures miss. 
Uh, they got eyes in front, in back, and then I think in verse 8 it says all around them was eyes. It was just their whole, their whole being was full of eyes. Evidently, they can see very well and they know what's going on, what their purpose is and things. Like I said, it's not revealed. We don't know. But we do know that John saw this, that around the throne was these four creatures. And they had eyes in the front, in the back, all around. I just think that's interesting. You know, we have, we have two eyes in our body, and we see quite a bit, don't we? Now, you imagine a heavenly being uh, who lives in eternity, who lives in the Spirit, and it's full of eyes. There's not much it misses, is there? Amen. So I believe that uh, those things can see what's going on. They know what's happening. Amen. Verse 8 says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying this, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Like I said, verse 8, we, we, don't, we don't know exactly what these creatures represent. We don't know what their, their main purpose is or, or understand their full purpose but we can see here their main purpose. Let me correct myself. We do know their main purpose, and that is to worship God continually. Look what they say. They say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That's a good way to worship the Lord, isn't it? It's to decry and to declare that He alone is holy. Three times to repeat it, right? Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, the one who created everything, right? The one who sits on the throne. Holy, holy, holy is he. And he is the one who was. That means before time began. And he is who is now currently abiding while we have time here on the earth. And is to come. That means the one for all eternity. He alone exists eternally. He is the self-existent one who created everything. And these four creatures worship Him as who He is, the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now look at verse 9. Now we begin to see and see we thought maybe we'd kind of left the elders behind. We said, well, we don't really know about them. That's just something we'll move along from. Now in verses 9 through 11, we get to see the primary purpose of those 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones around the throne of God. Now verse 9 says this, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks unto Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, whenever they see this happening, whenever these, these 24 elders are seated on their throne, when the time comes that, that those four creatures begin to worship God, then they got to do something too. And look what they do. The 20, in verse 10 it says, The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne and saying this, and we'll get into that momentarily. I want you to think about this. They cast their crowns before the throne. I've heard a lot of preaching in my life that talked about doing everything you could to earn a crown and then go on above and beyond that and earn a star in your crown and earn a second star in your crown and, 
It was all about puffing up the flesh, puffing up yourself and thinking that you're going to get something somebody else didn't and you're going to have a blessing that somebody else didn't. No matter what your crown looks like when we get to heaven, no matter how many stars are or aren't in it or whatever where people come up with that, I don't even know where they come up with all that stuff. The basic principle is this. Crowns represent accomplishment, authority, and approval. Those are three good ways to look at what a crown represents. It represents accomplishment, authority, and approval. And now here are these 24 elders who have received golden crowns. They've received some type of, of recognition for their accomplishment for their authority they've been given because they're seated on thrones. That means they have some type of authority and their approval. God will not give someone a crown who's not been approved. So all these things have gone into these 24 elders. They've accomplished something. They have authority and they've been approved by God because they have golden crowns. But when it comes time to worship the Lord and to give credit for their accomplishments, their authority, and their approval. Look what they do. The elders fully know that their accomplishments, their authority, and their approval came from the one who sits on the throne. And they declare that He is worthy of glory, honor, and power. Look at verse 11, what they say. When they fall down before the throne and worship Him and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. These elders worship the Creator because He is God Almighty who has created everything there is. Amen. You see, we can learn a great lesson from the 24 elders. Amen. We can learn that all of our accomplishments, all of our so-called approval from God, all of the things that we get proud of, that when we get to heaven and are before the throne of God, those things ain't going to matter anymore and whatever we have accomplished we'll remove from our head and toss at the feet of the one who sits on the throne. Hallelujah. Because He alone is worthy. What have you and I accomplished in our life that the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit have not helped us to do or have not gifted us to do? Every single thing that we have accomplished was not because of us. Yes, we may have worked hard. Yes, we may have spent a lot of time doing this, this, and this. But it was God who enabled us. It was God who allowed us to have a mind that could even perceive the things of God and read the Word of God and a mouth that could speak prayers unto God. Amen? So when we realize this, the great lesson we learn here in chapter 4 is that these things that are going on in heaven are all about the worship of the Creator. Amen. I've looked through this book, and as we go through it together, we're going to see that time after time, 
when there's people seen or uh, creatures or elders or whomever it may be, when they're seen and heard worshiping the Creator, they don't worship and uh, worship the Creator, and we, they don't give praise to Him for all the things they accomplished on earth or all the things they thought they gained on earth, but they worship Him because of who He is and what He had done for them in salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's a great lesson that you and I can learn as Christians from chapter 4. It's to be like these creatures. Amen. These four creatures that got six wings and <clears throat> full of eyes within and without and all around and in the front and in the back, all this stuff. But there comes the time it says that they just continually want to just keep on saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And be like those 24 elders. Amen. Whatever accomplishments we have, 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 have done in the earth, whatever accolades we may have received, just cast them at the feet of Jesus. Say, thank you, Jesus. I was able to accomplish something for your kingdom. Now you receive the glory for it. You see? Amen. When people go around and they have to take pictures of the good deeds they're doing, I think they're starting to get off the mark. Everywhere you look, you see people taking pictures of a check that they're going to donate to a certain group. On and on. See, they want that recognition that we're the ones who gave it. We want to be honored. We want to be uh, rec uh, commended for it. But when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, if I get to do something good for Him, I'll do it in a way that it doesn't bring honor to me. That it'll bring honor unto the Lord Jesus Christ who saved me and gave Himself for me. Amen. Amen. Next week, we will look at chapter 5, and we're just going to do this the next several weeks, and we're just going to go through these chapters slowly, look at the things that we need to see. Like I said, those things that God hath left a mystery in this book, we'll leave them a mystery, because I don't want to be found guilty of, of breaking Revelation 22 and 18. I don't want to be found guilty of that, of trying to add to this prophecy. It is what it is. It says what it says. If it's revealed, we'll take the revelation of it and go with that. If it's left a mystery, we'll leave it a mystery. But praise God, we did see today, even though we don't know who these elders are, amen, even though we don't know exactly what they do represent, we know that in heaven, right now as we speak, they're giving honor unto God the Creator. And this is what they're saying. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I don't know about you, but I think that's a, a, a prayer I want to start praying a little more often. I want to be praying and, and honoring the Lord, just like these 24 elders. And we see here that this was a beautiful thing as they cast their crowns before the feet of the, of the Creator, of, of the Almighty One, and said, you alone are worthy because you created everything that there is. Amen. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, I come to you today as we close this service this morning. We thank you, Lord, for what you've revealed to us here in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. God, we have seen clearly certain things, certain things we, don't, we still to this day don't know the answer. We don't know who the elders represent. We don't know what the creatures represent. We have certain ideas, but we don't know. But Lord, we thank you that things you've left a mystery, you've left a mystery for a reason. And so we don't try to intrude into those things and, and get off track and be off base. 
But Lord, the things you did reveal is that you are the creator. Hallelujah. And that you sit on the throne. Amen. And that anybody that's in heaven is going to be worshiping you because you are the almighty one, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Help us, Lord, here on earth. Help us, Lord, to remember that, to give you the honor and praise that you're due. To not take credit for for things from, uh, from our own works. To not take credit for ourselves but to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for everything, Lord, which we accomplish. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. I pray, God, for each and every person that uh, that you keep them safe this week as they go about their week of work and, and whatever it is that they'll be into this week. Keep them safe, Lord, from hidden dangers. And, Lord, help us all to remember to worship the Creator because, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. And, Lord, we thank you that you've made us who we are, that you've made us to be ones who would worship you and honor you, Lord. Help us to remember this in the days to come and all the days of our life to do like the creatures in heaven and like the 24 elders to let us worship you and give you the thanks and the praise and the honor that's due unto you because you have made us. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name today, amen, amen.